Hey friends, this is Shadima, also known as the Type A Hippie, and this is the Type A Hippie Podcast, GCast episode 55. And I'm on with an old friend, meaning not her age, but just we go way back, uh, Rochelle Woods. And actually it's Dr. Rochelle Woods, correct? Because you correct. earned that PhD. Hell yeah, she did. So... <laughs> We know each other because we're both Wolverines and we worked um, on similar projects, maybe different projects, but we worked in the same building and the same office many moons ago. We won't say how many moons ago, but I just wanted to welcome you to the show and thank you for being on. Thank you for having me. So Rochelle, tell us in your own words who you are. Well, I am, well, I'll tell you um, who I am as it relates to the work that I do. So some of this you already know, but who's ever listening to the podcast doesn't know. That's right. So I'm originally from Chicago and I grew up um, mainly in the city of Chicago. And then later on, we moved to the suburbs for high school and um, just came from a family background where neither of my parents have college degrees. Um, my mother actually couldn't read when she graduated from high school. And so she always made sure that, and she knew that that was like a major barrier in her life. And so she made sure that my two sisters and I could read very, very early, always had a love of learning, always had a library card, that type of thing. So even though we grew up um, very poor, using public assistance, um, you know, one, neither one of my parents was ever employed at the same time. They would try, they would look, but, you know, suffered a lot of financial hardships growing up, um, but, you know, was able just to get a lot of different educational opportunities, um, which led, of course, eventually to me going to college, uh, getting my PhD, and now kind of led me to the work that I do. So that's part of why I have the passion for working with um, students that are first generation, low income, um, students of color that are underrepresented in higher education to really help these students get access to higher education and then to make sure that they're successful in higher education um, once they make it in. So do you want me to talk about my That's current us. position? Or no? Yeah, <laughs> please okay. do. So in my current position at The Ohio State University, I'm director of the Young Scholars Program. And the Young Scholars Program has been around for uh, 30 years, actually, next year. We'll celebrate our 30th anniversary. I've only been with the program about three years. Uh, but we work around the state of Ohio with students who um, are from the nine urban areas in Ohio, which I will not name right now, but we're in all the major urban areas of Ohio. And we work with students that are academically talented, um, first generation, and of course we always use this term, but people don't know what it means, but um, basically students whose parents don't have a college education. Um, And we count as students whose parents don't have a bachelor's degree and students who are um, fit into the low income category. So so that's what, what I, my staff do. So I lead a staff of 15. We work around the state. We have about a thousand students in uh, pre-college and undergraduate and we really just work with them on making sure that they know how to get to college and then once they get to the Ohio State University um, because we're a direct pipeline to Ohio State about 90% of our students go to Ohio State some go to other institutions which is fine Um, and we really just work with them to make sure that they know how to get into higher education and once they get there that they're successful that's awesome I won't say about 
Ohio State. I'll keep that. I'll keep that between <laughs> us. <laughs> listen, listen. They think every day about being from and having degrees from University of Michigan, but that's what Michigan people do, right? We we help. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. No, that that really warms my heart. It makes me really happy to know that um, people have. You know, there are programs in place to assist people and help them navigate because if no one has gone before you, you know, your parents or your grandparents, no one has gone before and you're the first, um, hence the word first generation, it would be more likely that you also would not go on to college, even if you're academically gifted and you have the talent and you have the wherewithal, right? Were you going to say something? Absolutely, and that's, and that's what the data tells us. Well, that's what I was about to say exactly. So when you look at some of the data on students who go into higher education, regardless of their, um, their test scores and their grades, you see huge differences between students based on just purely based on income as to who actually um, enrolls in college and who graduates. And for students that are birth, both first generation and low income, only 11% of those students that start into a bachelor's program finish in six wow. years. So the numbers are absolutely dismal. Wow. Yeah, that's really sad. So what, can you tell us a little bit more, like walk us through, if someone, if I knew of a student that could be helpful or that this program could help, how would they be able to, like, how would we connect with you or programs like that, maybe in the state of Michigan or across the country? And what would that actually look like in terms of concrete, you know, steps? So there are programs um, like ours around the country. Our program is probably the, the, the most expansive um, in that we are in nine cities. But Rutgers has a program um, in New Jersey that's in, um, oh, don't quote me. I think they're in Newark and Camden. Um, And then in the state of Michigan, state of Michigan has statewide gear up. And there are gear up programs all over the country. Gear up stands for gaining early awareness and readiness for undergraduate programs. And so those programs exist across the country as well. to get into my program, students have to apply. We only work with students who are in public schools. And so they have to be enrolled in a public school in one of our cities at the time that they apply. So they have to meet certain GPA requirements. They have to get um, a teacher recommendation. Um, They have to do an essay. We have to get financial documentation. So it's a pretty extensive application process. And I can tell you that we help as many students as we can, and we've actually expanded our program by about 35, 40% in the last three years. However, we still turn down about half of the students that apply. And that's just simply because we don't have space um, and funding to serve all the students that really deserve it and need it. And I think if you talk to most people who work in pre-college programs around the country, um, we just, we have limitations. You know, we have staffing limitations we have resource limitations and so even though these programs exist there's a lot of gaps and there's a lot of students who really need this who can't get it sure and you know what as you were walking us through the steps Rochelle it occurred to me that it almost replicates the process 
to actually get into university, right? Absolutely. You know, getting a college, I mean, getting uh, letters of recommendation and actually writing an essay or a personal statement um, and then getting your finances in order via the FAFSA is generally what's used in this country. So that's cool to have them walk through it at least once before they go do the big run, you know, to Ohio State. Cool. So as I'm thinking about and hearing you, um, so we've had a change in administration um, in the last seven months. And what, if anything, because I don't think there's any current legislation that deals specifically with this. I know that previous uh, laws in place that could have an impact on students that were first generation included some things along the lines of if someone had been incarcerated and if they're a um, felon, they are no longer um, eligible for funding um, like student loans, what we know to be student loans. Um, and I don't think so that's I think changed. Just if it's a drug related. Okay. Convict. Okay. Yeah, thank I you. Thank you for clarifying. So that, definitely has an impact, especially when you think about if someone is attempting to survive and that is the last resort or what they believe to be the last resort and that's on their record. Now, if we're thinking about rehabilitation and reconciliation, you know, that kind of is a barrier. But is there anything right now that is currently being... um, devised that is related to education and access um, to education with this changing administration? So our, our current administration's budget proposal mm. has some very serious cuts proposed. I don't believe that they've been passed, but they were proposed um, by this administration would be a a pretty big cut to Department of Education. And they also proposed cuts to some of the student loan programs. They're going to let the Perkins loan program expire. Um, Mm -hmm. It would um, also end some loan forgiveness for people who go into like a public service type of jobs. Mm -hmm. Um, There's proposed cuts to the Pell Grant and the Pell Grant for people who don't know, P-E-L-L Grant, is... um, really for students who are from low income families and it pays up to about 5,500 or 50, up to 5,700 per year for low income students to offset and it's part of the financial aid package. And it would, they have proposed some pretty significant cuts to the Pell Grant um, as well. Now, you know, those at, at this particular point, I believe that, I don't believe that budget has actually been passed and there's some indication that it may not pass in its current form, but simply the fact that we're proposing or that the, the, the president is proposing to cut funding that's really going to stop a lot of students from pursuing higher education if it was passed. I mean, that in and of itself is, is disturbing, just simply that it would even be proposed um, because it really would have a negative effect on a lot of students who cannot afford to, co- to go to college um, otherwise without this federal financial aid. Sure. Yeah. And so as we talk about, you brought up barriers to education and you and I have been talking about that and we 
Friends, this is our second attempt at recording this podcast. Sometimes it's like that. And so I'm just so glad that it's happening. Um, what are some other barriers, Rochelle, to education that someone may run into besides so, the financial? Sure. So there's a lot of a lot of barriers. And probably one of the biggest barriers, which leaks into a lot of areas, is just lack of access to information about higher education. And specifically... Sure more selective higher education. So when I, when I say selective, I mean institutions that have a more rigorous admissions policy as opposed to just the open admission policy. And a lot of students don't really understand what they need to do to get into higher education. And if you look in a lot of the, the schools in the country um, that aren't affluent, so I'm talking about urban schools, I'm talking about rural schools, I'm even talking about a lot of charter schools, even though they claim to do better, many of them don't. Um, even the staff, that that's their role, the guidance counselors, they're working on a lot of testing with students to do all these standardized tests. They're not working with each student one-on-one -on -one about going to college. And even if they did want to, a lot of them have loads of 300 to one, 500 to one. You can't counsel 500 students on going to college with their specific needs. And so there's a lot of lack of access to good information. And what happens is over time, students kind of can weed themselves out. Mm -hmm. So if you know when you're in eighth grade what you need to do to go into higher education, classes you need to take, what grades you need to get, um, those types of things, you and your family can kind of plan around that. If you understand the cost of higher education, ways to pay for higher education because sometimes families will say well without because we offer a scholarship through our program obviously i guess i've left that part out our students receive a generous scholarship it's not a, a full ride scholarship but it's a it's a need-based scholarship but it averages about fifteen thousand five hundred per year which is significant and a lot of families will say well without that i can't go to college well, that's not true. You and I went to college. I don't know what your family background is, but I had student loans. I had financial aid. I managed to pay for college without, um, you know, major scholarships. I did have some small scholarships, but there's a lot of misconceptions about it too. There's also a lot of just lack of understanding about what courses students need to take to go to college. Um, there's a lot of barriers to students in terms of even getting access to the courses they need to take. When you look at a lot of Urban districts, rural districts, districts that, um, you know, are more are, are poorer districts financially, they don't offer AP classes, they don't offer um, IB classes, which is international baccalaureate, and people are more familiar with AP, but they don't offer a lot of those classes that make students look better sure. when they're applying for admission. In the same way, they may not be offering as rigorous a curriculum, and so you see those students doing worse on standardized tests than students that come from more um, you know, wealthier districts where they can pay for these things. In addition, our students deal with a lot of family issues. And sure. you know, when, when you grow up in poverty, there's more than a lack of money. A lack of money can bring a lack of housing stability. Sure. Um, it can bring just, just a, a lack of food stability. You know, you, if you don't know where you're gonna get your next meal from, are you thinking about school? If you are, um, you know, you don't know where you're going to live. We have some students that have, that have periodically suffered from homelessness. Um, quite a number of our students, we have quite a number of students that may end up in foster care. Um, 
you know, due to some parents' instability. And so there's a lot of other issues that go with that. So we're asking students to think about your future, which they do, but while they're dealing with a lot of issues and have a lot of pressure um, a lot of times at home because they're simply, not that they have bad parents, but that their parents need them to help keep the family afloat. And so they have a lot of responsibilities similar to what an adult person has, but they're 14, 15, 16, 17 years old. And we see the same thing with our college students as well. Once they get to college, there's a lot of pressure on them. Um, you know, they're getting financial aid refund checks that they need to use on books and they'll send it back to their parents because if your parents are about to get their utilities turned off, you think your book is a luxury, but your book isn't a luxury. Without the book, you're not gonna do well in the class and you're gonna fail out, but they're thinking, well, is my family going to have electricity or am I going to buy this calculus book? Well, a lot mm -hmm. of times the calculus book doesn't get bought. So those are some of the barriers. I mean, there are other ones, but those are some of the, the, the ones that are coming to me right now. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you touched on that because I wanted to get your opinion or your thoughts and experience with how poverty has an impact on self-worth and a student's esteem, you know, or even thinking that something is possible. Um, I'm from Ann Arbor and everyone that wants to go to university generally does. Um, it's not, it's not a hundred percent, but people were applying to the University of Michigan as a safety school. And mm -hmm. that is not the case across the country or even globally, right, that U of M is considered a safety school unless you're from Ann Arbor or maybe from some other places in the country that are on the more affluent um, side of things. And so I wanted to capture from you or get from you your thoughts on the students that you're working with and that you've worked with over the last three years, um, how that does have an impact or if it does have an impact on their success so sometimes it's it's, it's not self-esteem sometimes people mix those concepts up. it's not self-esteem it's self-efficacy sure. so they feel good about themselves like they think okay. they're great it's sure. the, it's the ability to which they feel that they have control over their life their outcomes sure. and so and and there's research on this as, as well but I think what, what we see every day, myself and my staff, and I've just been with this program for three years, but I've been working with this population for 20 sure, years. Sure, sure. Um, and what you see is that students sometimes feel powerless because they feel like, I want to go to college, but I can't pay. I want to go to college, but I don't know what to do. Or, um, you know, I want to go to college, but who's going to do blah, 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 blah of these things that I have to do at home, right? And so there's sort of this sense of, you know, basically that they're stuck sometimes. Um, so they're just not sure. It's not that they don't want to do it. And when you look at college aspirations, I mean, there's been a lot of studies of college aspirations and people kind of have this, oh, we have to get the kids to want to go to college. That's not true. When, when you look at studies, when you look at black kids, you look at low-income kids, you look at Latino kids, they have college aspirations in the 90 percentile. I mean, they have high, you know, 90-some percent of them in all the studies I've seen have high college aspirations. They want to go to college, 
But the question is, how do they do it? And that's what mm -hmm. kind of stymies them. And again, if they don't find out in enough time, then that closes a lot of doors, you know, sure. um, to them. If you find out what you need to do to go to college junior year, well, you can still go to college, but it, it's already closed off certain opportunities to you because you may not have taken the courses that you need to take. You know, you may not have just done some of the things that you need. You may have taken the ACT on time or the SAT, mm -hmm. you may not have studied. So there, there are things that you need to do and there's timing associated with them. And you, you know, as you, it's sort of like, you know, and I always tell students this, like every year of your life, you're either opening a door for yourself or you're closing a door for yourself. And as they're going forward, if you don't know, doors can be closing behind you. You know, and it's like you may not even know that it was there, but all of a sudden your sure. options become more and more and more limited. However, there are still options, but again, you know, it just becomes much more complicated and, and, and much more difficult. Not sure if I answered your question at all. No, you did. Yeah, <laughs> no, you did. Um, I, I like to think that about the emotional stuff too, like the stuff that there are oftentimes studies and I'm glad that you've brought up that this stuff has you know, been studied and researched. And, um, so friends, these are not alternative facts. This is not Rochelle's opinion. This is, <laughs> you know, this, this is historic. I mean, there's historical data about this. You mentioned foster kids. So I will tell you that, um, university of Michigan does have a program. Uh, and so I'll send you information about that. Um, and I'm sure Ohio State does as well, but they have a special Ohio scholarship. I have one, but oh, okay. Michigan has one, Blavin Scholarship. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Yep, and totally. Actually, I'm telling you who has the best program for foster kids, Western Michigan University. Oh, interesting. They, they pair Blavin Scholars off of a program that Western Michigan has. Western Michigan has kind of been a pioneer nationwide on, on serving foster youth. I don't know who, it had to be a specific person. I don't know who it was who had that passion to develop some programming for them and some funding, but yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I read the description of it because I wasn't familiar of it, familiar with it myself. And I read the description and I had tears in my eyes. And so I wanted to touch on that because um, if a student is in foster care, they have even more unique needs than a student Absolutely. that is maybe, I don't want to say just struggling, right? Because everyone has a struggle. Um, even people who are wealthy may have a struggle. They're just, it just looks different. That said, so can we talk about, would love to hear from you about some of the unique struggles that foster students have and kind of touch on, um, for listeners who may or may not know about this, like foster, um, the foster system to prison pipeline instead of students going to school. Um, many of them are ending up incarcerated. Absolutely. And the, and the, the college going rates for foster kids, I mean, they're dismal. They're like in the single digits. I mean, it's, it's absolutely, um, it's absolutely horrible. So the, the, the foster, the, the foster students. So the other thing that I want to point out too, is we have a segment that's in foster care, but you also have a whole segment of students of, of youth that are not in foster care, but they don't live with their parents. Sure. Um, and so they've lived with a grandma, an auntie, they've been mm -hmm. living with that person their whole life, you know, so they don't have their parents in their life. They maybe have floating from, from house to house oh, for sure. years. Um, 
and but they're not in foster care. So that we also have that segment of, of youth as well. But specifically around around foster children, I mean they just face a lot of of barriers in school. So we we have a foster student. We actually can't even find her right now. We we've had several, but we have one right now that we cannot find. Um, in one of our cities, won't won't say her name, won't say sure. the city, but she um, was living with a foster mom. The foster mom was being abusive to her. And so she decided to leave. She had an older sister. She went to go stay with the sister. Foster mom took all of her clothes. Um, so she didn't have any clothes. Um, she didn't have her books. And so it's like, you, she wants to go to school, but you're trying to go to school. You don't have any clothes. You're trying to go to school, but you're getting mistreated in this place that you're staying and it's sort of like well do you complain because you could end up staying somewhere worse um because she had been in several different you know foster homes um you know because they bounce them around a lot in, in some cases and so she ended up having some issues at school and she ended up in front of a judge, they send her to some sort of like youth program and we literally cannot reach her. We do not know where she is. Mm -hmm. And she started to have academic issues um, as well. And the last conversation with her was when she had moved in with her sister and she didn't have any clothes. And I said, well, let me just go with you and let me just buy you some clothes. She's like, no, you don't have to buy me any clothes. I'm like, you don't have any clothes. Me spending a couple hundred, like at this point of my life, me spending a couple of hundred dollars on a child that's not going to damage me in any way. So I'm like, but she didn't even want to let me buy her anything. It was just really interesting. Sometimes when you try to do something for young people that are not used to anyone doing anything for them, sure. it's very sad. It's very sad that you, a child doesn't even want to let you do anything for them because they're just not used to being cared for by adults. It is like the saddest thing. It is sad. Being cared for by an adult will take anything from you. They're like, that's yes, right. give me every, give me all your that's stuff. That's right. Yeah. But a child that's not used to getting anything from adults and they're mistrusting, they do not want to take $5 from you. And they don't that's want you right. to buy them a burger because they just think, are there strings with this? Like, I'm just, that's I'm not. True. But, but that's a whole other issue. But so she's just an example. Um, we had some other foster students. Part of it is how well they learn to navigate the system. We had one foster student. He knew that system. He knew what money he was entitled to. He would record conversations with his caseworker. And if the caseworker didn't do what she said she was going to do, he would call her boss. Because this is a student that really learned how to really work that system and work it to his advantage. Which, but of course, most students don't, right? Most students right. don't. He also was lucky because his aunt was his foster caregiver and he wasn't getting bounced from home to home. But what happens with these kids is at a certain point, a lot of times they become homeless. Um, yeah. And that's happened with a lot of our college students. When they're not on campus, they don't have anywhere to stay. We do have year-round housing. But again, you know, we have to make sure that they get into that housing so they have somewhere to live. And these are college students, so again, they have other resources around them. But for a lot of students, uh, young people, they age out of foster care. They may have actually left the home of where they're staying, you know, around the time they're 16, 17, um, because they just may not be being cared for properly, end up on the streets, end up committing some sort of petty crime, or sometimes it's even just getting arrested for things like vagrancy, because you, you can get arrested for being homeless. Essentially, in a lot of places, the, you know, they're criminalizing just being homeless, you know, just they, they don't say homelessness law, but it's like vagrancy, loitering, um, you know, those sorts of things. You know, you can get arrested for that. God forbid if you get involved in any sort of petty crime, 
you know, you end up in the system. And a lot of them end up in the system as juveniles and they just kind of continue um, as adults. And so it's very hard, you know, for students who are on that type of track to really turn their lives around because there's no one around them talking to them about that. Um, you know, unless they just really find someone who takes an interest in them. So these students are just rare. I mean, literally the numbers of foster kids going into higher ed, it is in the single digits based on everything that I've seen. Wow. Yeah, that's, it's really sad. And, and you're right. And we could probably talk, do another podcast just about vagrancy and loitering and just the space issue and how many people of color, I would say communities of color, have been policed and over-policed. And so there's a lack of space. Um, People, I kind of sometimes ask the question, can we live? You know, can can people just live? And that's where that question comes from, where there's always a presence of, but not in a positive way, just someone hanging out with you, but you didn't ask for them to be a part of your life. And it's just kind of like a blanket always there or, you know, humidity in the Midwest, always hanging out and no one really loves it, but it's, it's just there. Um, So yeah, I'm glad that you, you mentioned that and cleared that up for us. Anything else and how can people, if someone's heart is stirred by this, um, which I hope it is because one of the reasons I had Rochelle come on um, I was telling her during the pre-call that one of my biggest pet peeves is when people say that people should pull themselves up from the bootstraps. And I'll tell you why that is irritating as hell to me, because not everyone has boots. Um, even if they were to have boots, not everyone has the boot strings attached to it, you know, but many people don't have the boots. So what are they pulling themselves up from? And there's not one person, I believe, on this planet that exists apart from other people. And so, you know, the current administration, the one that's in the Oval Office said once that they got, that he got a small business loan. And I believe it was a million dollar loan. Right. And even eight year olds and nine year olds, 10 year olds, 11 year olds prior to the election called him out on it and said, oh yes, I just got a small business loan from my father. You know, a small business loan to many Americans is not a million dollars. Um, right. It might be a hundred dollars, maybe a thousand. Nor can they go to their dad and get it. <laughs> exactly. You know, so many people don't have relationships with their father. So many people don't have relationships with their mother, as Rochelle has just pointed out. Um, so there are many, you know, yes, if you have been successful, that's awesome. But it's important to be realistic about why you've been successful. And truly uh capture what it was that was your experience so is there so rochelle back to my question what if if someone's interested in whether it's donating money to to this cause or like how would if someone has an extra money that they'd like to um to to give away <laughs> whether it's a program <laughs> in Ohio, the program that you're speaking of or one in their state, their home state or the state in which they currently reside. How would someone go about finding a program that's reputable that they can make a donation? So a lot of uh, the, the university programs, essentially you can find through um, university websites. They're a little bit, 
little bit obscure, but a lot of times if you'll look at, you know, just Google pre-college programs in the university. Now, if someone wants to give to my program, um, the Young Scholars Program, um, our link to our program is www.odi.osu.edu backslash YSP. Um, and then there's a link on that page to, um, to donate. And if someone sees this and they want to email us, um, the, our email address for the program is YSP, just Young Scholars Program, just the abbreviation, YSP at osu.edu. So that's how they can reach us. And we do take donations, and I do tell people, and we actually are in the middle of fundraising, but um, we don't, when we get donations, we don't, keep them like that doesn't go to my salary we give money directly to students because a lot of our college students um even though they have a scholarship they have financial aid sometimes there's gaps in those packages so a lot of times our students may need money for books our students may need money for living expenses we have some students who've suffered homelessness as um, undergraduates once they move out of the residence halls and they may have different issues so all of our money really goes directly to students to support them um, we use some to help students do um, go and study abroad which sounds like a luxury but these are not vacation trips these are really opportunities for them to learn and for a lot of our students that have done study abroad it's their first time out the state um, and so they really get to learn, you know, we're in a global society. So we, we give all of our money directly back to students. So if someone wants to donate, we're more than happy. And if someone just wants more information about our program, they can go on the website, send an email to ysp at osu.edu. Awesome. So friends, I will include that in the show notes, of course, of how you can get in contact with the Young Scholars Program. And yeah, studying abroad is not a luxury to your point. It is part of most people's curriculum nowadays and you may find that you're behind if you don't take advantage of that opportunity absolutely, um, absolutely. and I, I do want to say too if people just want to volunteer and work with you you know there's a lot of organizations big brothers big sisters um you know ymca is actually those organizations have really been trying to beef up what they do around college planning so if you're listening you're a college grad and you're like how can i help there are so many students out there that just need a mentor and someone to actually tell them this is what you do to get from a to b that's right that's awesome this has been so good and so inspiring so Friends, there's plenty of opportunities and ways to get involved in your community so that you can become part of the thread, part of the tapestry of someone else's experience because we all intersect for a reason. And so this could be an opportunity for you to pay it forward, you know, just like we say. So thank you so much, Rochelle. This has been enlightening and really inspiring, like I said. I really appreciate you being on. My pleasure. So I got a couple of stories from Humans of New York, the book. So it appears to be a young kid and it says a bunch of kids at school got suspended when the English teacher discovered that a mini computer had been planted in a circuit box. They'd been using something called a rainbow table, which hacks through a vulnerability in Windows XP using brute force to gain administrative access to the system. That's serious. I know more, but that's all I can say. <laughs> so that's not great, but at least he's being honest now. And then uh, 
young man that says, I want to either open a liquor store or a funeral parlor. I figure those are two things that everyone needs. So that may be true. <laughs> a funeral parlor and a liquor store. We don't so, have to all drink, but we do have to all die. That's true. All right. So friends, thank you so much for your love and support. Um, I really appreciate it. I honor the place within you where the entire universe resides. I honor the place within you of love, of light, of truth, of peace. I honor the place within you where when you are in that place in you and I'm in that place in me, there's only one of us. So thanks so much again for the support. This is the Type A Hippie Podcast. Chicas episode 55. My name is Chidima. Namaste.